As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, where we will read verses 1 through 16 of chapter 5 this morning. We continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus Christ that he is giving to us as his people to reform our moral imaginations in order that we may have the right practices that express and that extend Christian flourishing. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, speak to us once again through our our risen and ascended Savior, who spoke these words to us long ago and who continues to speak when we read your word by faith and we listen for your voice. Lord, may your real, divine, heavenly presence be made known to us that we would be reminded that in Christ we have been raised and have ascended as well. Not in order to escape the realities of things down here, but that we may have the strength that is needed to be the ambassadors of the heavenly places. Speak to us and reform us, for we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. There is nothing within the Christian life that is natural to us. There is nothing in the Christian life that is natural to us. As those who were fallen in Adam, the Bible describes us as being those who live in the darkness. We walk in the darkness. Jesus has told us we like the darkness. And the problem with the darkness for us is when you have been, every one of us, well, well probably most of us have experienced this, where you go uh, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon. I remember when I was a, when I was a child and, and uh, during the summer, they had one day a week to give moms a break. So for a very small amount of money, you would take your kids to the theater and they'd get filled up on popcorn and Coke and watch a couple of family-friendly mem- uh, movies while, while mom would, would enjoy some peace and quiet. And, and you would have spent hours, right, uh, at least two movies, you know, were hours where you're in that dark theater, and then you would come out of the theater and immediately, right, even when you're a little kid and have young, fresh eyes. You still can't take it. That that contrast is, is so difficult. The Scripture describes us as naturally being attuned to trying to see in the darkness. To put it another way, we are not naturally attuned to see the light. Let alone to see everything else because of the light. And yet what the scripture also tells us is because of this problem that we have of living in the darkness, wanting the darkness, being accustomed to the darkness, and not being able to to see the light or let alone to see other things because of that light, because of that, Jesus Christ who is the light, has come into creation and into history in order to pull us out of the darkness and to equip us to be able to see the light. And as we start to adjust to that ability to see the light, we then are able to see everything in light of the light. C.S. Lewis is famous for having said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun. I can see the sun, but more than that, because of the sun, I can see everything. Jesus is the light who has come into this dark world to shed his light and to provide his light. And in the resurrection, it is the, the resurrection itself is even described in, in terms of light as on the dawn of that 
first Easter Sunday, before the sun had fully raised, there was the, the, there was the dawn of a new light. And it was not just the light of the rays of the sun as, as the, the, the earth was spinning, but as the light of the heavenly resurrected Christ burst forth from that tomb where even the one who is announcing that the resurrection has has happened is an angel from the Lord who descends from the heavenly places, who is described as being one who embodied blinding light because he was someone who was coming from the world of light. And the light of that world from whence that angel came was the world of God's presence. And beloved, with that first resurrection Sunday, the light of the new dawn of the new creation burst out of that tomb. And the privilege for us is not only to see that light and to know how to navigate this darkness, to to go to that land of light, We have the privilege and the calling, Jesus tells us here, of being his light to this world. The philosopher Plato is known for for many things, but one of his most famous writings is the allegory of the cave. Writing about, you know, 350 years prior to the birth of Christ, Plato, in trying to describe what what he sees as as being the world and, and how the world works, has this allegory that the church fathers thought had been revealed to him by Christ. The allegory goes this way. Plato says, imagine that the way the world works is is that the average person is is like a prisoner who who has been chained in a cave. And and the, the prisoner lives in those chains. He can only stare at at a wall. And so his whole existence is just staring at the the wall the, the wall of the cave where all he sees is the wall. And yet behind him there is a fire. And from time to time there will be people who are the masters of the cave who will walk in between the fire and the prisoner, creating shadows on the wall. And as they walk, they sometimes they might be holding a vase, or they might be holding a cup, or they might be holding like a child's toy horse, or they might be holding something like a flower. But they walk in between the the dim light of the fire, creating shadows on the walls where, where the prisoners are able to start identifying certain shapes. Well, what happens if one of those prisoners somehow is able to escape the chains. What happens is if if his chains fall off and he's able to stand up 
and to look behind him. What, what happens? Well, well, the first thing he's going to see is that fire, and it's going to be blinding to him at first, because so far up to this point, he's never looked into direct light, let alone the faint light of a fire in a cave. And yet as he is, uh, starts to adjust to, that, to, that, to the light of the fire, he starts to see that those, those shapes on the wall that he was seeing, that those shapes weren't real. What's real are, are the things that he finds on the ground where he finds the vase, he finds the cup, he, he finds the flower, he, he finds the child's toy that's shaped in the form of a horse or of a duck or of a dog. And he starts to realize that what he was seeing on the wall wasn't real. It was a shadow. Well, what if he then is able to get out of the cave itself? where he's not orienting to him, but, but even there he would learn to adjust to the new light. And then what he would discover is this, the, 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 the shapes that he was seeing on the wall that he realized were just shadows and they were made on the basis of these other shapes, he starts to realize that, well, the shape of that horse there's an actual horse, and he sees an actual horse go by him. Or he sees an actual dog, or he sees an actual duck, or he sees an actual flower or a tree. He doesn't see a cup, but he drinks the wine or grape juice. We're in church. What the Bible is trying to help us understand, beloved, is something that Plato was catching on to. In our sin, what we see are shadows on a wall. But there is something better than the shadow. And right now, you and I are, are, are able to see the, the, the toys and the, and, the, and the trinkets that create the shadow. But in Jesus Christ, what we are also being given, as we talked about in the beatific vision of being new in Christ and through the eyes of faith, beginning to apprehend the heavenly realities of Jesus. We have a fuller apprehension, even though there is still an even greater apprehension that is coming. But in Plato's allegory, the guy does exactly what you would think he would do. And that is, this is amazing. So I need to go back in, go to my fellow prisoners, and I need to tell them and free them so they can see it too. The problem is, what happens when he goes back into the cave? where his eyes used to be adjusted to the cave and had become adjusted to the light, he goes back into the cave and now he's stumbling around because he can't see. He can't even see like he used to see. And so he's stumbling around and he looks like an idiot. And as he's talking to his, his once fellow prisoners and as they're playing the game of identifying the shadows, right, he can't see the shadows anymore. And so he can't play the game. 
And, and, and where he used to be the best at the game, he can't, he can't play anymore. And so his prisoners are like, okay, well, you, you went off and did something, and now you can't even walk around and you can't even see the shadows. Why would we want what you're offering? And Plato says the, the result is that the prisoners, there is a tendency to then ridicule. And when he doesn't respond to the ridicule by being silent, they plot to kill. Jesus says that those who are in darkness love the darkness. Those who are in bonds love their It's what they know. And it's what you and I used to know as well. It's what used to give you and me comfort, the shadows. It used to give us meaning. It used to give us purpose. The shadows used to be true to us. And and when it was true to us, we didn't want anyone taking that away from us either. But the calling that we have and the privilege that we have, beloved, is that we are bearers of the light of the world. And we have the privilege of going to those who are in chains, who are in darkness, and through the virtues that Jesus has just hammered us with, we attempt to show the light of Christ. What are the virtues that he has just hammered us with in this sermon? Well, the overall picture is you need to be emptied in order to be filled. What is the cross and the resurrection? Embracing what looks like losing in order to be part of victory. Jesus came as the one who was from the heavenly places, and yet he lived on earth as one who was poor in spirit. He didn't come in flashing his credentials. In fact, he hid them quite a bit. He didn't come in making demands. He came in sharing love. He didn't come in trying to obliterate the the wrong idea you know, wrong ideas. He came in to embody the truth that had already been given. And what did it look like for Jesus to be the light? Well, we're told he fed the hungry. He gave clothes to the naked. He embodied justice and mercy. You see, in the humility of of Jesus in his incarnation, he was poor in spirit. He was one who mourned over the, the lostness and the curse on creation. 
He was meek in where he used his strength and his power to benefit others rather than benefiting himself. He was one who hungered and thirsted for what he knew was real in the heavenly places and yet still attempted to embody that heaven, those heavenly places in his own justice. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. And he, through his crucifixion and resurrection, has made peace. And the privilege that you and I have, beloved, is to take the light of Christ, which is not just words and ideas, but is attitudes and actions. Walking in the humility of Christ to use what we have to benefit others and not just those he says here who want what we are offering but especially when and even when it results in rejection reviling and persecution the American church has not kept its light on the stand. We have placed it under the bushel basket. Augustine, in writing about this this idea of put, you know, no one lights a candle and then puts it under a bushel basket, makes the point that that Jesus isn't simply talking about well, you don't light a candle in order for it not to give light. That's obvious. He says the question that we have to ask is, what is the bushel basket? And in America, I can tell you what the bushel basket has looked like. Maybe it's just me. But it looks like personal privilege. It looks like wanting to be seen as the winner and running away from any kind of appearance of being a loser. What it has looked like in my life is that I want to win arguments over abstract ideas rather than make sure that someone has a coat if they're cold. Making sure that someone has something to eat and to drink, when obviously I can sacrifice. I have been slow to embrace the humility of Christ. And even this past week, I have been reminded that the preaching of Christ is a preaching of a cross And it is a preaching from a cross. Our Savior who hung there saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The cross is not just the subject matter, beloved. It is the means by which we live and it is the means by which we preach. And the creature comforts of this world 
as you and I are surrounded by, by beauty and bounty that has come from God. We have misused this beauty and bounty. We have presumed upon it to think that we are owed it and to think that God should give us more rather than what we have being utilized to enjoy him as we enjoy what he has provided. You and I, we want to have personal peace and affluence, as Francis Schaeffer argued. What you and I want is to have political power. We want to be influencers. What Jesus wants are a people who will take up a cross and follow him because it is a cross that leads to resurrection life and light. Beloved, you and I have been freed from the cave and we have been freed in order to see God and then take the God whom we have seen to those who are still in the cave. There are going to be times when we will need to discuss ideas. There will be words that are required to bear witness to the crucified and risen Christ. But if we do not have good works, as Jesus tells us here, if we don't have good works, how will they glorify our Heavenly Father? You and I need our moral imaginations and the practices of Christian virtue. We need that reshaped within us. Because there is nothing natural about the life of Christ that belongs to us as sons and daughters of Adam. And yet, through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, not only is he the light that gives life, beloved, you and I have inherited that life and the calling to be that light. And so go forth this week, not ready to win arguments, not ready to try to impress with what you know theologically or philosophically, but go forth with a willingness to give somebody something to eat, something to drink, give them a hug in the name of Jesus, and then be ready to give the reason for your hope when they ask doing so with gentleness and respect. Beloved, you in Christ have seen the light of the new creation, and you are now the light of that new creation to this watching world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need your help. Even as those who have been freed from the cave, we 
so often like to go back into the cave, not to bring the light of Christ to the cave, but because we're more comfortable there. So frequently, Lord, we prefer the the shadows that are on the wall. Or we prefer the the trinkets of of a finite world where things will rust and, and be destroyed rather than cherishing the imperishable, eternal inheritance that Jesus Christ has won for us and so graciously given to us as a free gift. Lord, free us from the ways in which the darkness still influences us. Help us to be a people who will actively cultivate the light and that will let your light shine into the areas of our life, not just the areas where we're okay with the light, but especially in those areas where we are still cherishing the darkness. And Father, convince us that having seen the light and and participating in the light and going forth as the light, that this is not abstract, that this is not pie-in-the-sky spirituality of a heavenly escapism, but it is real, it is concrete, it is tangible, that it is as true as, as giving to others clothing as Jesus Christ has clothed us with his righteousness giving to others bread, even as Christ has become the heavenly bread that is nurturing our faith, giving others a cup, even as Jesus Christ has given us a cup and filled it with the realities of the new covenant by which everything promised has been secured. And Lord, we pray that you would use our efforts in the weakness in which we give them, and that you would, through your Spirit, give us a harvest a thousandfold, that there will be many voices joining in the celebration of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we are forever freed from the cave and enter the beatific vision of seeing you face to face. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.